Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Welcome today. Any Chief fans in the house? May I hear? All right. Any Eagle fans in the house? All right, there's a few in the house, all right, and then what about those who don't care about either one, you're just going for the nachos? All right, that's right. It's my desire to eat a plate of nachos every time the Chiefs score. So uh, may Mahomes win uh, a lot, or score a lot um, today. Hey, listen, uh, 60 Minutes today will be... uh, uh, watched by people around the world. <laughs> it's a money-making uh, game, um, and it will be, it, it, there's a, so much hype, even people who don't care about football uh, really watch this game, or again, watch the commercials of this game. Uh, and who wins in 60 minutes, you'll have to look in, in trivia books a couple of years from now, unless you're a Chiefs fan, uh, or something like that, uh, to, to be able to keep track of who won this game. It's the, not the 60 minutes that really needs to be the focus of winning or losing. It's the 60 years or more that we are put on this earth. And whether or not we win or lose in that game, in that battle, is really the most important thing. And as we've been talking in the book of Ephesians and, and coming really to a, to a close next week with Ephesians, I just wanted to remember what this is all about. I don't, I didn't, I started first, very first, very first week with, with just giving you the, the self-confession. I'm not looking forward to this series. I'm still not looking forward to the series. I'm looking way for the, the series to be over. I feel like I have been under more spiritual attacks emotionally, mentally in my spirit than probably any other time in a, in a concentrated time. Maybe, maybe there's other times, but I, I, I don't want to embellish this. I don't want to make it more than it actually is, but neither do I want to diminish it. And I think the church has been guilty of diminishing the reality of spiritual warfare. And I hope that maybe through this series that we realize, we wake up in the morning and we realize that this is real. What's going on inside of me? What's going on around me? What's going on spiritually is real in this trifecta that we live in. And if I don't understand it and I'm not aware of it, then I may become a casualty to it. Vietnam veteran, former Green Beret, three Bronze Star, uh, 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 received three Bronze Stars, goes on to become a pastor, Stu Weber. Has a book called Spirit Warrior, and he really marries his years of being in the military and compares it so much to what it means to be in spiritual warfare. He gives this warning in the very first pages of his book All too often, Christians become casualties. Just let that sink in. That three words, Christians becoming casualties, is not at all what God designed for us. Us becoming the casualties of war, us becoming the spoil of war, us becoming the victims of war, it's not what God desired. Shot to pieces in a war they didn't take seriously. 
The problem is, is if we don't take it seriously, if we don't hone in on the spiritual world out there, if we don't hone in on the culture in which we live and how the culture speaks into us, whether it's the news outlets, the social media, it's our friendships and our relationships, it's just the, the, the general vibe and narrative of our culture, that's shaping us. It's shaping the church more than the church is shaping the church, which is a real, again, oxymoron almost. But just to realize that when God won the victory on the cross, and how I fight my battles is through Him winning the victory, the reality is that we can become casualties in this war. And you can talk about victory, and we can sing about victory, but do we live in it? Or do we know what it is? We talked about it in a couple of weeks back, that really what the, what the victory is that Paul is leading us and calling us to is the ability to be able to stand, to withstand, to stand there for that ability to not be tossed in, uh, by the waves and the winds of the, of the world, to be able to stand, even when you fall, you're able to get right back up again, that ability to stand firmly grounded. It gives us the pieces that will help us do that. Those pieces of the puzzle, those pieces of armor, if you will, that if we put these on and we keep them on and we recognize them cognitively and we intentionally put them on, that we can live in victory. Just in quick review, truth and righteousness, the very first week, well, our very first time when we start putting on the armor of God, that whole idea of thinking right, right thinking and right living, and they go hand in hand. And I can't go back and reshare that message. It's out there. But it's the reality that our, our thought life and our living life are hand in hand together. And we've got to keep them walking in congruent relationship with one another. Then there's the gospel of peace and the shield of faith. And Todd Aaron did a great job last week challenging us to shoes on, shield up. Shoes on, I, this week there were several fiery darts that came my way. And I'm so thankful that the shield of faith was still there so that I could keep pressing forward. But here's the reality. If I put my shoes on, that means I'm going to start making movements with the gospel, moving the gospel out. You better believe Satan is going to do everything in his powers. He's going to unleash the hounds of hell upon our lives to keep us from moving forward. Just waking up to that reality. One of the statements that uh, Todd made last week is kind of my biggest takeaway. The gospel I received came to me on its way to someone else. I didn't just receive the gospel. I'm not just saved. But actually the gospel that I received is on its way to someone else. And I need to make sure I get it there. So it's not an ending with me kind of gospel. That's why we talk about live sin all the time. To show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. And what does that look like as I live out my life? And listen, again, I say, Satan is going to do everything in his power to stop you from shoes on, shield up. Shoes on, shield up. He's going to stop you from that. He find, Paul found that, that, that to be a reality whenever he was in Thessalonica. Probably one of the places that he saw one of the greatest works of God was in Thessalonica at the same time. Persecution was so real, he had to skinny himself out the back window and flee in the middle of the night so that his life would not be taken from him the next day. That's how real it was. He goes down to, Ephesus, he goes down to Athens and is going to want to go back 
to, to Thessalonica, want to go back to share the gospel even more. But notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.18. We wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Is there something in your life right now that you know you should do, ought to do, God's calling you to do, but you feel hindered by Satan? Think about it. Here's the, here's, the, here's the reality is that if we're going to put the shoes on and the shield up, we need to understand how this works. You can go it alone with your own shield. You can go it alone with your own shoes. But really, in the intent of this, and really when Paul is talking about this, he has this Roman garrison. He has this legion of soldiers. And he is thinking about the reality of how Rome fought then is how you link your shields together. You link your shields together, you get as tight as you can together, and then you move forward with the gospel. Now just think about that. I don't do that alone. I do that in community. I do that with others. Listen, I'm not going to move the gospel forward. I can move the gospel forward some on my own, but I will not do it in a lasting, impactful kind of way alone. Life principle for you, 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 you want to go fast, go alone. You want to go far, go together. And as a church and as a small group and community of believers, how can you press the gospel forward into this world? How can you move the gospel out into this world? Do it together. I invite you, if you don't have a church home, find a church home. And you're looking for a church home, I invite you to check us out. We have a first step experience coming up in March, and I just invite you to jump into that and learn more about it. So, right thinking, right living. Also, shields up, or shoes on, shields up. What does it mean to take the gospel forward, to move the gospel? Because this is not just take care of ourselves, bubble wrap ourselves. It's moving the gospel forward. But the last two, there's six of these if you haven't noticed, it's salvation and the word. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. The word of God. And what are we to do with that? We're to walk the good walk, and we're to fight the good fight. When you look at this, I want us to understand it. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, so if you have your Bibles, look there. Thank you, Emma, for reading and actually praying most of the scripture that I actually have in my message today. So thank you uh, on, on this. And so when you look at verse 17, yeah, I want you to point out something to you. I pointed out before that Understanding the verbs is the key to understanding the Greek language. Well, there are several verbs in the beginning, but then there is one verb at the very end. And he says this, to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. Now, when you look at the first three pieces of armor, he tells us to attach them, to fasten them, to put them onto our, our bodies, okay? To, to put on the shoes, to put on the, the breastplate, to fasten the belt of truth. But the last three, he tells us to take up. You take up the shield of faith. You, you, you take up the helmet. You take up the, uh, the, the sword. There is a, a, an intentionality with that that if you're not careful, you might forget it. If it's attached to you, you're going to carry it on throughout all the time wherever you go, okay? I ought to have righteousness on my, uh, on my chest in my life all the time. 
But if you're not careful, you might put the sword down. If you're not careful, you might forget that you're saved. All right? Now hang on to that. This imperative is, is, is something that's cut me stirring in my mind. Why is it that we've got six pieces of armor, but it's the, only the last two that he gives it in the imperative? I'm not going to say that they're the most important, but I'm going to say that they're the most important. Because I'm not going to say they're the most important as if you can do without the others. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, if you do without any of the other pieces of the armor, then that is where you have a wide open spot for Satan to attack. So you don't do without righteousness. Don't do without truth. You can't, okay? But if you want to know what the most important are, if we talk about most important, we'll talk about our number one, our number two, or number three. But what I think Paul is doing here is he's building up to the most important. And that's why at the very end he says, listen, Whatever you do, you've got to take up the helmet of salvation. You've got to take up the sword of the Spirit. So let's talk about those. Two parts of your victory if you're going to be in it to win it. One is we've got to walk the good walk. We've got to know what the good walk is and what it looks like. In verse 17, it says take up the helmet of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians, he calls it the helmet of the hope of salvation. This whole concept of salvation and hope and how does it tie together? Well, hope has a feeling. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is, is, is a vibe. Hope is something, that, as a narrative you tell yourself, hope is a state of mind. Hope is a perspective. So think about this, that the perspective that I have on life the view that I have in life, the vibe that I have in life, the thought that I have in life, I am looking at life through the lens of hope. Where did I find this hope? This helmet of salvation. Well, the helmet of salvation has a name. His name is Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, when we talk about salvation, there's a lot of things you can talk about when you're talking about what it means to be saved, Okay? Hang with me on this because I know everyone probably has their theology all night, nice and neatly wrapped up. But I want us to understand what the whole Bible talks about when it talks about salvation. One is, is you can think about it like this, is that I am saved, I will be saved, and I am being saved. If you kind of think about those uh, different spaces in time, past, present, and future, all right, that, that's the whole of salvation. Some people take salvation and they just stick in the justification category. I, I was saved as a kid. I was saved at church camp. I was saved at, at Bible school. I was saved back then. It's all past tense. Everything they have is historical salvation. But there's also a future tense of salvation. Call it glorification. It's the day in which we step into heaven and we step into glory. Everything's perfect. There's no more crying, no more tears, no more pain. We're all looking forward to those days. I was saved. I will be saved. But let's not forget also that I am being saved. In a word, it's sanctification. It's that, that, that making right, that cleaning out, that cleaning over, that, that making us what we are supposed to be as we live out our life. And you, another way you can say this is that I am saved from the penalty of sin. Penalty of sin separates me from God. People go through this life every day separated from God. Isaiah 59 verse 2, you can pray all day long 
And God doesn't hear your prayers if you're separated from God. Sin separates us from God. There's the penalty of sin. But when I become a follower of Jesus, I'm safe from that penalty. But I'm also safe from the presence of sin. One of these days, I'm going to step into glory. And when I step into heaven, when I step into glory, when I step into paradise, all all these different words that you can put on that. One of these days, again, no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. The the stain and and the presence of sin is gone. But right now, I am also saved from the power of sin. The problem is, is that some people are held captive by sin. And they're not walking in victory. That's what this whole series is about. And this is what I believe. It is that, that, that last little tear of salvation is what I believe Paul is speaking to because he's telling us to take up the helmet of salvation. Now, there's nothing I can do to make myself saved and there's nothing I can do to get myself to heaven. I can step into my salvation and let God's spirit, his gospel work in me. In fact, every day I need to preach the gospel to myself again. Every day I need to walk in that. I don't need to be held captive by the power of sin. I take up that helmet of salvation. It is a cognitive, it is a volitional, it is intentional work in my life. And how do I see this? Again, Paul is wrapping up everything he's been saying. But this one word, dekomai, to take up, to grab hold of, to take a hold of it in your life. It's an aorist uh, tense verb that means it's happened in past, but it has long-lasting impact. Think about that. It's this idea that I have, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting, I'm taking, I'm, I'm putting on salvation, and I'm going to go out into my day-to-day life living as I am. I am saved, I will be saved, I was saved, and I am walking in salvation today. I'm walking free of the power of sin today. And throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul is calling us to walk a certain walk. Walk the good walk. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Good works that God prepared before, which by the way, the, verse, the good works is Him saving us. So two good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4.1, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. Ephesians 4.17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. This is not Paul's version of racism. He's not against the Gentiles here. He's actually just pointing out, hey, that's the way you used to live. You're now a follower of Jesus. You don't live like that anymore. Okay? I don't live like the world anymore. I now live like Jesus. Okay? There's a Jesus in me that impacts my life. Chapter 5, walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, walk as children of the light. Chapter 5, verse 8. For the fruit of the light is found in what is good and right and true. Listen, my friends, if you want to make good, healthy, flourishing decisions in life, Run it through that filter right there every single time. Is this good? Is this right? Is this true? Let that be the filter. Is this good? Is it right? Is it true? And that's going to set me on a path to walking as children of light. Chapter 5, verse 15. Look there, look carefully then how you walk as not unwise, but as wise. So just here in this, 
that while Paul says put on the helmet of salvation, he's calling us to walk not in, in the slavery to sin any longer, but to walk as children of light in what is good and what is right and what is true. As we live out our life every day, we need to never forget that I am a child of God and I have been set free. When you think about a helmet and the helmets have gone, have been used in in military battles since obviously back in the Roman time and long before, you can go all the way back to David and Goliath. Helmets have been used in times of war because you've got to have a helmet on because otherwise you will be, have a short life. It's interesting to watch how the military has changed its helmets in the research and development to Kevlar helmets. In the mid-1980s, the Kevlar helmet was introduced to the military. In 1987, in a training exercise, a 4.2 mortar round exploded near a soldier in a time of training, and a piece of shrapnel hit that shoulder in the back of the head, knocking him to off of his feet and knocking him unconscious. And it was the helmet that saved him. Whenever you go a little bit further, just a few years later, in December 89, Operation Just Cause in Panama, an AK-47 round was, was fired and hit a soldier in the... A Sergeant Howard Overrack hit him in the helmet. He survived. Then in 2012, an Army Staff Sergeant, Thamus Lewis, was hit in Afghanistan by a round that the bullet went in one side and curved around the helmet and went out the other side. That's the technology of the helmets of our day. Why am I saying all that? Because a helmet saved your life. That's helmet. As you go out into this world and you're making decisions and you're living out your life, if you don't have that helmet on, you're a short-termer in the life of victory. You will be a victim and you will fail and you will fall. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Do you have that salvation? Have you been saved so that you can say one day you will be saved so that tomorrow when you get up and you go about your everyday life, you can say, I am being saved. I pray that you will every day walk in the victory that Jesus is giving you. Let's talk about number two, sword. The sword that he tells us to take up, again, to fight the good fight. To walk the good walk, to fight the good fight. Now, I really wish we didn't have to talk about a good fight. It sounds like an oxymoron. Is there such thing as a good fight? Actually, Paul makes it very clear there's a good fight. He's talking to young Timothy in chapter 1, verse 18 of his letter. He says, by then you will, may wage the good warfare. So there's a good warfare out there. Chapter 6, he's closing out his first letter and he says this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Chapter 2, excuse me, uh, the second letter, when Paul's reminiscing on his own life, he's closing out. His life is about to be taken from him. He's about to be a martyr for the faith. He says this, I have fought the good fight. Now, when you think about it, a sword, really, shouldn't we update our modern warfare? Shouldn't we update the analogy or the metaphor? Should we not call bazookas of righteousness or drones of truth? 
You know, I, I like the idea of fighting drones because you can hang out in a bunker in Arizona desert, an undisclosed bunker, and eight time zones away, you can fly a drone and you can hit your enemy spot on every time. Go home at five o'clock and have dinner with the family. That modern day warfare is far less casualties. But the problem is, is God didn't call us to fight with drones. He actually tells us you're going to fight, and you're going to fight hand to hand. And it's going to be real. You know one thing I've learned about Satan? I've learned it even just last night. Satan doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. It's in the middle of the night or it's the first of the morning. He doesn't go on vacations. In fact, he'll go on your vacation. In fact, when you come to church, he'll jump in the car with you so he can stir the pot before you get to church. The point is, is that we will fight hand-to-hand, face-to-face. We've got to know what our weapon is, and there is no improving on this weapon. There's a sufficiency in this weapon that we cannot put it down and try to improve on what God has already given us. This sword, what is this sword? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let that sink in. The sword of the Spirit. It's this idea of a small, uh, 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 either a dagger. It could be up to six inches or 18 inches. It's the same word in, 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 in the Greek language. But it's this idea of not a machete, but it was, it was a two-edged sword that they would carry with them. And it wouldn't matter if you were slinging a catapult or a, a trebuchet or, or you were throwing up an arrow into the uh, burning arrow across to the enemy's side. Every soldier carried a sword. Because there was always that time when you couldn't just shoot arrows across a field or a tributary across the field, that you had to pull out your sword and fight. The reality is that we must fight, and what are we fighting with? We're fighting with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. There is an inextricable marriage between the Spirit of God and the Word of God. You take the Word of God without the Spirit of God, and you separate the Spirit from the Word, and you have nothing of life. You separate the spirit without the word, you have nothing, you don't have the voice of God. It's not just the voice inside of my head, it's the voice inside the word of God. We cannot separate. All scripture is breathed by God. So you want to hear from God? Don't just listen for his voice inside your head. Open up this book and let his spirit speak to you. Let his spirit guide you through his word. I want you to take out your phones right now, all right? Take out your phones if you don't already have them. I'm going to have you scan this QR code or text in, and we're going to ask you the simple question. How often do you read the Bible, okay? Now, let me explain these. Zero means zero, okay? Zero days of the week. If you're here and you read even one of the verses on the screen, I'm going to give you one day, okay? All right, so that's an easy bingo answer in the middle. If you're zoning out and you're shopping on your Walmart uh, app or you're uh, on Facebook right now and you haven't read a single scripture, then you need to put down zero, okay? Or whatever. How many days in the week do you read the scriptures? So work on that right now, and I want to tell you about a crisis that's going on in America. 
We're going to come back to this survey in a moment. We'll see a, a live response. So if you want yours in there, be sure and give your answers now. There's a state of the Bible that the American Bible Society comes out with every year. Every year I get it. It's free. I get it and I read it. It's, it's 60 pages at least. And I read through it to read what is going on in our American culture on the state of the Bible. Well, I just got last year's state of the Bible, 2022. And there's a crisis in America right now with this book right here that I call The Sword of the Spirit, The Word of God, that's happening inside America, inside the church, that is absolutely horrific, and I have no no words for it. I want to show you what came out, again, in this year's study. That there has been a 21% drop in Bible engagement in one year. Now, look at that. That is, that is absurd. It's not been like this for, for years. There's never been a drop like this in a matter of one year. Engagement means that you're going to read the Bible at some point three to four times in the year outside the church. Imagine that. Once a quarter, you open up your Bible, you read it. There is less than, you can see the drop is now down from 39, it was 50 last year, 50% last year. What, what, what are we saying with this? And by the way, the American Bible Society was so shocked by this finding, they went back to the University of Chicago They went back to the polling agency that helped them. They felt like they had done something wrong in their tabulations and their calculations and their focus groups and all that kind of stuff. They felt like they had done something wrong and actually they verified everything is accurate. That Americans are turning away from the Bible at astronomical rates. Let that sink in a minute. I've been thinking about this ever since then. And And I have this phrase that I'm working on. I just wanted to to pitch it out to you today to think about. If we don't have high biblical literacy, then we're going to have low biblical living. In short, biblical literacy leads to biblical living. If we don't see this book as God's Word, and I'm in it, and I'm studying it, and I'm, I'm consuming it, and I am taking it in, and I'm letting it shape my life and my steps of my life, then I'm going to miss a whole lot. What that could look like is this, and again, this is definitely a work in progress. If I have low biblical literacy and I have low biblical living, you might look at this graph. That pretty much describes the notional Christian. The person who, yeah, I'm a Christian. They claim to be a Christian, but they're not a Christian. They claim to be a Christian because they don't want to be called a Muslim. Or they want to be a Christian because they grew up in a Catholic church, or they grew up in a Baptist church, but they have no, no, no walk with Jesus, no desire to walk with Jesus. In fact, they're probably not even here today. They're probably not even watching online today. Then there is the high literacy, but there's the low living. That category are the religious, okay? They're going to be the hard lines. They're going to tell you when you're wrong, but at the same time, they may be living a hypocritical life in their own life. They, they are what Jesus had to deal with most of the time when the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They knew so much Scripture. The Pharisees had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Beat that. Their biblical literacy was through the roof, but their biblical living was off. Then there's the low literacy, but the high living. 
Those are the ones that are actually living out by accident almost. They're very moral people. They're, they're very good people. They make good judgment decisions, but it's not because of biblical truth. It's because they're just moral people. You probably know some have family members like that. But then there's where we want to be. High biblical literacy and high biblical living. That is a flourishing disciple. What's it going to take to grow our biblical literacy that in turns produces biblical living? This is the question that Grace Point is diving into deep long into this. Let's see our survey, okay? Uh, Tim, can you pop that survey back up on the screen? Uh, See where Grace Point is as far as Bible reading, my chance? There's where we're at. I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm going to show you a study that we've taken this same survey several years. Um, We'll see. But here's what we've got to do. We've got to understand that this is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is here for us so that we can have victory every day of our life. Let's give you two reasons why you need to lean in on the Bible. The Scripture works on me. Number one is I need this book. I need to be in this book because the Scripture works on me. It helps me to see things about me that I don't see about me with my own blind eyes. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit. Can you imagine? Can you parse out the soul and the spirit? I can't. Scriptures can. Between the joint and the marrow, can you imagine? This is first century literature. Could they parse out the marrow from a person's bone? It exposes the innermost thoughts and desires. See, this book will speak truth to me when I'm in this book that I don't hear otherwise from my friends, from myself in my own head talk, and so forth. Biblical literacy leads to biblical living. 2 Timothy, we read this earlier, just a few words of it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Okay, that is, the Scripture is in the Word. The Word is in the Scripture. Okay, the Scripture is in, the Spirit's in the Word, and, and it is there for us. And it's profitable for what? For teaching, for telling us what's right. For, for reproof, for helping us know what's wrong. For correction, for helping us to know what, how to get right when we've gotten wrong. And help for training in righteousness, how to stay right. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Notice this, high biblical literacy leads to better biblical living in our lives. The scripture works on me, the scripture works for me. Whenever you look at the scriptures, you find that the word of God is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. When I can't make know what decision I need to make, I consult and integrate the Scriptures into those decisions. When Jesus was being tempted in the garden, three different times, he quotes from Deuteronomy, three different times, chapter 8, verse 3, chapter 6, verse 13, and chapter 6, verse 16. He is literally quoting the Scripture. The Scripture is working for Friends, I want us to walk in victory. We will not walk in victory unless we realize that helmet of salvation is to be worn, put on, and worn every single day of our life. 
The sword of the Spirit is what we are going to be able to make sense of this world, be able to make choices in this world, good decisions in this world. I'm, I'm reminded of a story of a, a little boy named Aaron who went, to, who went to church camp as a kid. That year they were studying the theme of spiritual warfare. Can you imagine sending your kid to an overnight camp, talk about demons and Satan, and they expect them to sleep good in the night? I don't know what that church group was thinking. The kid comes home, Aaron comes home, and, uh, and he basically is scared to go to sleep at night. He calls his dad in, Dad, would you stay in here with me? I'm afraid the demons are going to get me. And you know, we've turned so much of our parenting, uh, you see so much helicopter parenting. Well, I'm afraid we have helicopter praying as well. We kind of want to pray over our kids that we, they, they're, they're taken out of the, the darkness of this world. Is that really how we should pray? I don't know. Think about it. So anyway, the dad lays down with him at night, and he all of a sudden has this epiphany. You know, I'm not going to pray that you're safe. I'm going to pray that you're dangerous. What do you mean, Dad? I'm going to pray that you're dangerous. I'm going to pray that you're like, you're like Joshua, that you're going to be strong and courageous. I'm going to pray that you're going to be that you're going to be a man of faith like Abraham. I'm going to pray that you're going to be Acts 19, 15, that Satan will know your name like Satan knew the name of Paul, and that, that you will be dangerous to the darkness of this world. I pray as we walk as children of light that we will be dangerous to Satan, pushing back the darkness as we put on the armor and we live it out every single day of our life. Would you bow your heads with me? Let me say this before we go much further. If you do not have that relationship with Jesus that is secure, that is 100%, yes, I know I have been saved, and one day I will be saved. If you cannot say that, then right here, right now, you tell Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I want you. Jesus, save me. Jesus, give me victory every single day of my life. Help me to walk in it. If you can say you've done that, you have entered into that relationship, then I ask you the question, are you free from the power of sin? Or does sin have its grip on you? Is sin holding you back and you can't break free of it? Listen, take the sword of the Spirit and cut free. Speak truth into it. Find freedom in it right here and now. Father God, don't let us leave. Don't let us leave this room today. Fallen soldiers. Father, and I'm not going to pray for helicopter prayers that you come into our lives and you take all the bad away. I'm going to pray that, Lord, you make us strong. We can stand. We can be strong to stand and withstand against the wiles of the devil. Father, thank you that you want us to be and live and walk and breathe and parent and do business and live our lives from a place of victory, from a space and a mindset of victory. 
don't let us live the lie of Satan. We thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.